Hello, I'm Professor Bob Hewish from the Department of International Development Studies at Dalhousie University. You're listening to GDP, the Global Development Primer, the podcast dedicated to all issues in international development studies. Follow me on Twitter at Professor Hewish. Thanks for joining us for another episode of GDP, the Global Development Primer podcast. For this week, we are happy to have Clive Lipton join us. He's a renowned environmental scientist and water resource management expert. Now, Clive has dedicated his career to addressing water-related challenges in arid regions, particularly in the Middle East. He founded and currently directs the Arava Institute for Environmental Study Center for Transboundary Water Management as an institution recognized for its innovative work in cross-border water management and cooperation between Israelis, Palestinians, and Jordanians. Throughout his career, Lipton has actively promoted regional collaboration on water-related issues, seeking to foster peace and sustainability through shared water resources. His work has earned him international acclaim and has made a significant impact on the field of environmental science and peacebuilding in the Middle East. And here he is today to join us on GDP to talk about water security and the current war going on between Israel and Hamas. Clive, welcome to GDP. Great. Thank you for having me on the show. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're, you're joining us from uh, the southern part of Israel outside of Beersheba. And we know it's certainly a, a, a tense time uh, in, in the region. And we do really appreciate your your comments and, and for you to take the time to join us to today. Uh, recently, you've published a piece in The Conversation that makes a really unique and important argument, suggesting that water could be a means for brokering peace between Hamas and Israel. Can you can you take our listeners through through this argument that you've uh, that you presented so well in the conversation? Yeah, sure. First, let me just make um, an important dis- uh, distinction here. Um, the article and what I'm proposing uh, is not about Israel making peace with Hamas. Uh, we will never make peace with Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization that uh, murdered over 1,400 uh, innocent Jewish Israelis. So we need to make that clear. What I am talking about... Thank you, Clive. Thank you for making that clear. Yeah, sure. And what I am talking about and what my, my work uh, deals with is how we can promote peaceful relations between Israel and Palestinians. So just important to make that uh, distinction. So uh, uh, look, the, the way that we we, we uh, uh, think about water uh, in our region, the way that I think about it and, and, and what, what I advocate together with my colleagues is, the reality is that uh, this, the Eastern Mediterranean, which Israel, Palestine, Jordan uh, are a part of, is one of the most arid regions of the world. It's also one of the areas of the world where we have some of the fastest growing populations. Um, what this means is, is that a demand for water uh, is growing exponentially, uh, but the supply of water, uh, if anything, is diminishing. And a big part of that uh, is uh, because a climate change is heavily impacting um, water availability in our region, um, as well as uh, a lot of mismanagement uh, over water. And so the, the gap, if you will, between supply and demand is, is only growing in our region. Um, the other reality is that all of the water that we are dependent upon here is shared, or as we call it, uh, transboundary. 
So the water uh, crosses uh, political borders, whether that be surface water systems like the Jordan River uh, or underground uh, aquifers. Uh, These are uh, hydrological systems that are not uh, contained within the borders of any one country. And so when we think about managing these resources uh, under conditions of scarcity and growing demand, uh, there's another dimension that is also critical is um, the political dimension, because uh, some of this resource will be in Israel, some of this resource will be in um, Palestine. If we're talking about the Jordan River system, uh, we're actually talking about a number of uh, countries that all have access to the system, including, uh, in addition to Israel, Palestinians and Jordan, we have Syria, Lebanon and North. So um, uh, there is a uh, inherent uh, political dimension, if you will, uh, in how we have to think about uh, allocating uh, these water resources amongst all of these different uh, actors uh, and countries. So run me through it there about where where are the current stresses for water systems within this within this region uh, israel palestine jordan where what like how vulnerable is it at the moment it actually is 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 very vulnerable um and probably the best example of that vulnerability is a groundwater groundwater uh is hugely important in our region and uh the aquifers that we are dependent upon uh, are all declining uh, some in, in, in alarming rate uh, for two reasons. Climate change is one, which I mentioned already, but the second is overpumping. Um, mm. So uh, the water, as the water tables drop, uh, the salinity of the water increases, which means that you get gradual uh, degradation of water quality. So even if there is water in the aquifer, um, because of all this uh, high rate of pumping, um, once the water actually is brought to the surface, oftentimes it's not uh, usable. Um, and so we don't only have a water quantity issue in terms of supply, but we also have a water quality issue. Um, and this uh, this uh, issue is very stark uh, in Gaza itself. Gaza is dependent on uh, what we call the coastal aquifer system. Um, and decades and decades of overpumping from this aquifer uh, has caused uh, seawater to intrude into the groundwater uh, to the point that there are places throughout the aquifer that the water is simply too salty to use. And so uh, the most uh, acute water crisis in the region is Gaza because mm-hmm. uh, it's also a region that doesn't have alternatives uh, to the groundwater uh, that it uh, is uh, dependent upon. So now for this for this water challenge in, in Gaza, I mean, you know, you you look at the map and it's urban density is is almost staggering. And so the dependence upon one water in a very concentrated area is something to, you know, to to recognize. But what what could be done uh from Israel's side to to improve that situation? Is there something that that could that could change to to help with that situation? Well, you know, the, the tragedy of Gaza is uh, that the solution to Gaza's water problem are actually very uh, uh, well understood and actually somewhat uh, relatively easy to solve. When we look at the issue purely as a technical one, what Gaza needs is what Israel has. And what does Israel have that has helped Israel to overcome some of these challenges? Israel has developed um, seawater desalination facilities along the Mediterranean coast. 
And the seawater desalination facilities are now producing upwards of 70% of Israel's domestic water supply. And this has allowed Israel to be less and less and less dependent on these groundwater resources, whether those groundwater resources are being uh, are, uh, saline or whether their water tables are dropping, um, we can make up the difference by uh, desalinating seawater. And, and we've done that and we've done it extremely successfully. The solution to Gaza's water problems is exactly the same. Gaza needs one, two, three large seawater desalination plants along its Mediterranean coast um, so that it is no longer dependent on this uh, very vulnerable uh, groundwater resource. That solution is very well known and very well understood. The tragedy of Gaza is the political situation. So long as Hamas remains in power in Gaza, there is no political mechanism by which Israel will allow a, such facilities to be built in Gaza. And the reason is, is because Israel looks at any infrastructure project in Gaza through a policy of what's called dual purpose. And what do they mean by dual purpose? They say certain types of materials uh, that are supposed to be used uh, for water could be turned by Hamas into weapons. Um, and uh, with respect to desalination, um, you're talking about pipes, you're talking about pumps, you're talking about uh, tubes that contain membranes, uh, and all of these uh, materials, uh, if they were co-opted by Hamas, uh, could very quickly return to Israel as, as, as rockets. And so uh, it's the political situation uh, between Israel and Hamas that has, for decades, I'm talking prior to the war, for decades, that has um, uh, um, um, created a, a huge obstacle uh, to putting in place in Gaza what Gaza needs, which is uh, seawater desalination. And as long as there isn't any kind of long-term political horizon where uh, these kinds of infrastructures can be uh, instituted in Gaza, the Gaza water crisis is just going to go from bad to worse. That's that's a very interesting scenario you just painted there. So, you know, what, what I'm hearing is is there's there's a human, clear humanitarian need in Gaza. There's technology available, but there's the there is the the worry that the even beyond dual purpose. It sounds like it would be if if any of this technology showed up in Gaza that it would be quickly broken down, weaponized, and then, um, and then coming back, back into Israeli territory. You know, I mean, the, the, the technology involved in creating any sort of IED or improvised missile isn't, isn't that advanced. So this is, is this the concern then Clive, like, you know, like, does this extend to even other, other humanitarian uh, infrastructure that's, that we're not seeing come into Gaza? Is, is this? Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, really, and it, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a tragedy of untold proportions because at the end of the day, it's the two million Gazans that are suffering. It's not Hamas. Mm -hmm. yeah. Hamas has plenty of water. Hamas has all the infrastructure that they need. It's, it's, it's the Gazans. It's, the, it's the, 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 the average citizen who is paying the price for a this political, um, you know, uh, 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 situation in which we uh, find ourselves, and it's not just desalination; it's other infrastructure. Another main area in which we do work uh, is in wastewater treatment. 
And here yeah. too, uh, Israel um, is very cautious on what kinds of materials will enter into Israel for a building wastewater treatment facilities. Now they are, or they were before the war, there were uh, three semi-functioning wastewater treatment plants in Gaza, one in the north, one in the center, one in the south. But these systems were all under capacity because the population was growing so quickly. So they all needed to be refurbished, they all needed to be rehabilitated. But again, uh, that can't be done unless the right parts, materials are going into Gaza and are being used specifically for that purpose. So what actually is happening is uh, these uh, systems are all overwhelmed. And so the sewage uh, is simply being dumped directly into the Mediterranean Sea because there's nowhere else for the sewage to go. So here's another uh, tragedy uh, that uh, is happening as a result of the political uh, situation. Right. This uh, sewage is also infiltrating into the aquifers. So it's also polluting the groundwater that the Gazans are uh, still uh, dependent upon. And once that sewage enters into the sea, uh, it travels north into Israel and then can compromise Israel's own seawater desalination plants because they won't be able to operate if they are risking pumping into their facilities polluted seawater. So uh, that uh, point actually uh, is a point that I argue is an opening for a way in which we may be able to resolve this issue or to start to at least have a discussion. Because yeah. the point to um, to um, uh, emphasize here is so long as sewage is flowing to the sea in Gaza, it's not just a Gazan problem, it's an Israeli problem. Mm-hmm. And the way to phrase this is that uh, Israel's water security in terms of seawater desalination is at risk if, it, if the plants can't function because sewage is flowing into those systems from Gaza. In other words, if Israel were to assist in the rehabilitation of the wastewater treatment plants in Gaza, it doesn't only help the Gazans, it helps Israel ensure that their seawater desalination plants can be operated. And so here you have a, a clear uh, incentive by both sides uh, to solve a problem because both are being impacted. And so the question is, at what point do you find these um, situations where both sides understand that they both losing if they don't find a way to cooperate together. It's a, it's lose lose or it could be win win. Um, so so this is the kind of scenario that I think uh, we need to creatively find a way through uh, to try to get to some of these projects actually uh, happening. So these these are great points, Clive, and and you know would there then be Let's let's roll it back. Two two questions here. If if Hamas was not in control of Gaza and there was a political infrastructure there that uh, gave confidence that dual purpose technology wouldn't be pursued, would that open the opportunities for this kind of assistance to come from Israel into into Gaza? And and with Absolutely. that, Absolutely. yeah. I think that I mean again, you know, the, tra- the, the again, the tragedy is the, the 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 problem is clear and the solution is clear. So if we were able to be in a situation where whoever controls Gaza is able to recognize Israel, is able to find ways to work with Israel, uh, and look at the end of the day, what we say at the Arab Institute, uh, the most scarce resource in the Middle East is not water; it's trust. Huh. 
And so long as there's no trust, and, and now, of course, with the war, I mean, there's, if there was any, it's, it's, it's gone. So we really are going to be starting from ground zero once this war is ended. But, but there could be a silver lining. And the silver lining is if Hamas is removed um, effectively uh, and some entity uh, enters Gaza, that uh, Israel is able to engage with, uh, then these kinds of projects can move forward very rapidly. And I think that if a political uh, uh, framework is developed, the money will come very quickly because the Saudis will put money in, the Qataris will put money in, the Americans will put money in. You know, the, the finances here would not be an issue at all. And Israel has all of the expertise. We know how to build these facilities. We know how to operate them. We know how to manage them. And right. so uh, at the end of the day, it, it really just comes down to, is there a political scenario that is feasible? Yeah. So let me ask you this. In, in, your, in your piece in the conversation, you, you said the following, that Israel turned off water and fuel shipments to Gaza, as, as we know that happened after the, 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 the brutal attacks that, that took place. And, and that was done in order to punish Hamas. Now, uh, as you say, this, this turned a disaster into a catastrophe. And also, as you say, the lack of access to drinking water and sanitation will not cause Hamas to lay down its arms. Like you said, Hamas is able to acquire its own, its own resources through, you know, its, its international uh, connections and, and smuggling. So why, what then, is there a logic then for turning off the taps uh, for both fuel and, and water? Like what? What was the motivation on Israel's well, side to I, do that? I, I was very uh, upset when yeah. Israel turned off the taps because yeah. whether or not that water goes to, to Hamas or not, it's also going to the residents of Gaza. And yeah. uh, this was just purely weaponization of water. And I, I, I'm very much against that. Um, yeah. I didn't think that any, and, and all it did was, you know, just in, increase the level of criticism against Israel. Um, I think it was a big mistake. Uh, and and as we're seeing now, the the taps are being turned on again. Um, uh, so I think that Israel realized that you know there was that that was the wrong thing to do. Um, on the fuel side, it's more complicated because Israel's refusal to let fuel into Gaza is that uh, their their argument, the argument of the, the military is. As soon as that fuel enters, it's going to be compromised and co-opted by Hamas. Um, and so, basically, what they're saying is, we're not we're not against the fuel going in, but we don't know how we can uh, um, ensure that that fuel will not uh, find its way into the hands of Hamas. Because what's 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 the strategy here? Hamas needs that fuel to run its generators and other uh, infrastructures to keep the, the tunnels going. Um, Israel doesn't want to keep them fuel to keep the tunnels going. They want to do the opposite. But the hospitals need fuel, and and we need fuel to run, uh, you know, pumping stations. We need fuel to keep the minimum, you know, life-saving technologies that the Gazans need as well. And so this is a real tragedy. Um, but Israel is saying, look, we we understand that the Gazans are paying the price, but unless we can be given any kind of, um, uh, you know, security uh, guarantees. That fuel will not find its way into Hamas. Israel is saying we're not going to let that fuel in. 
um, it's 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 a it's a big problem, and it's it, and it's it's one that does not have an easy uh, short term uh, solution, unfortunately. No, and and it's it's one right now where the the, the current political climate is, is just you know internationally is one that is is sort of seeking uh, you know revenge and an emotion rather than than reason and any sort of uh, you know, logical peace building process here. And it's difficult, I think, for many to to try to take that breath and get towards some of the initiatives like what you're saying that, look, there needs to be practical infrastructure development in here to, to bring a more stable humanitarian situation to the region. And it's one that I believe you have worked on in the past uh, with Palestinian partners about mobile wastewater treatment plants, uh, water generators, the, this sort of thing, work with hospitals, like there, there has been a working culture of assistance between, between Israel and, and Palestinians in the past. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I very much am extremely proud of the work that the Araba Institute has done together with colleagues in Gaza to uh, begin to find ways to improve the situation. And I think one way in which we have something uh, to offer uh, is um, in the face of the difficulties in implementing these large-scale infrastructures, you know, big projects for seawater insulation, big projects, or large centralized projects for wastewater treatment, uh, what we are advocating for is to go local, to be much more decentralized, or sometimes we, term, we use the term off the grid, uh, and that's what we've done. We've in introduced, you know, small um, water drinking uh, devices from the Israeli company WaterGen. We've introduced a small uh, local um, uh, wastewater treatment facilities in communities in Gaza, as we've done in other parts as well, including um, the West Bank. Um, and these kinds of decentralized uh, facilities uh, can, you know, be much more easily set up um, can come online quicker and can begin to provide some relief to 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 residents. Um, and 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 really, as a, as an NGO, as a nonprofit, that's that's something that we are uh, quite well um, uh, set up uh, to do. On the other hand, we're not in any way uh, fooling ourselves that this will solve all the problems. The large infrastructures are critical, but uh, there are, are things that one can do at a more localized level. And the other Part of this uh, that we strongly advocate for is on these localized projects, you really are uh, developing relations between uh, Israelis and Palestinians. Um, and those relations are, in essence, what is needed uh, to you know, build this trust that I mentioned is not really, uh, is, is, is lacking. Um, now, again, we're not naive by saying, you know, if I work with this community or that community, that peace will arrive tomorrow. But uh, you've got to start somewhere. Um, and that's 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 our model. That's how we do our work. It's also our model in how we bring uh, Jews and Palestinians um, and others uh, uh, to our uh, campus uh, and students uh, to learn and live and work together. Um, you know, uh, it's like a ripple in a pond, you know, uh, you start small, but those ripples keep growing and expanding, um, and the circle of influence uh, and understanding and trust grows. Um, and that's, that's the model of the ROI Institute. Well, I think it's, I think it's a model that, 
that more people need to need to hear about because ultimately it's it's person to person diplomacy with with these these shared goals of of sharing technology and trying to to get at some of the structural challenges of 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 resources in in this highly vulnerable and highly sensitive area so uh you know you said it earlier clive i mean this might be my last question for you for today but with trust being such a scarce resource i mean are there steps in place today where we can start building that trust back and and would water be the vehicle for it well i'm glad you asked that question because we are at the depths of mistrust at the moment and you know um, as you also said you know in times of war uh, emotions are high uh, people are angry people are upset um, uh, on, on all sides uh, and so to start to talk about oh let's work together let's find peace nobody yet is emotionally prepared to deal with that on the other hand uh, the war will end uh, and we're going to have to find a way uh, to work together and uh, water, I think, is is an essential vehicle in in, in, in in allowing that to happen. Water is a fundamental necessity, but water also is a basic human right. Uh, it's defined as such by the United Nations. Um, we all need water. It doesn't matter who or what we are, we all need it. Uh, and the only way we're going to get it in this small highly politicized, water-scarce region is if we do it collaboratively. And that's that's what we're promoting. And, um, you know, uh, we're doing it, you know, project by project, community by community. Um, and, you know, we're, we're trying, uh, you know, to move the needle in, in, in a direction that makes sense. Um, and that's the best that we can do. And we hope that others will follow and, and continue and build on what we're doing. Um, uh, but I also want to... Uh, put a dose of reality is that at the end of the day, uh, unless there is a overarching political governmental to governmental agreement or whatever this Israel Palestine will look like after this war, it's essential. Our work uh, is really on the margins, it's on the periphery. Um, uh, we are building the trust from the bottom up. But we need to be met by our governments who are building the trust from the top down. Yeah. Yep. Those are great points, Clive. Thank you so much. Clive Lipson is uh, the director of the Center for Transboundary Water Management at uh, the Arava Institute for Environmental Studies. He works extensively uh, with uh, Palestine, with Palestinians to bring water management, water treatment solutions uh, into, into the region, including in Gaza. And uh, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on GDP to just talk about the importance of water and the importance of seeing that water uh, can be weaponized and hopefully can also be the basis for a new era of, uh, of humanitarian peace. Clive, thank you so much indeed. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much.